Um, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. I have a, a notebook at home and as I'm reading books and commentaries and various things, I, I, I put down little notes for sermon ideas and round about late October I was reading these chapters of Isaiah and uh, I wrote a few notes on Isaiah 43 and they wrote beside it New Year's Day. So uh, finally get to, to bring these thoughts. Isaiah chapter 43. Important message, I believe. They're, they're all important, but I think this is, this is timely. Let me read from verses 14 to 21. Verse 14, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Remember, Isaiah is writing to the exiles in Babylon long before uh, the exile even began. He's writing this. It has been preserved for decades by his followers. That's what scholars suggest. And now it's being brought out and read to the people. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. There's a great verse, isn't it, for the start of the year. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Let's just pray again before we launch in. Father, thank you for this new day and this new year. And I pray, Father, that this will not just be a token New Year's Day message, but that it will resonate in our hearts. Let your word go forth. Let it achieve the purpose for which you have sent it. In Jesus' name, amen. The writer of Ecclesiastes is a sarcastic sort of a character. And there's all sorts of caustic little quips that come out in Ecclesiastes. And one verse in chapter 1, verse 9 and the start of verse 10, he says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? A sort of a miserable statement from, from that writer who, who, who talks about life and, and life without God and life without following God and, and, and just 
the, the, the sort of wastefulness of human pursuits that he goes on through the book of Ecclesiastes. But in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new, nothing different. It's all just the same old stuff over and over again. We live in a world that is designed to keep us in the past. It's really important. A world that is designed to keep us in the past, to keep us looking over our shoulders with a twinge of sadness at better times. Some examples that I have observed. Supermarket music, okay? Now, some of you won't be old enough to have experienced this yet. I am. When you go into the supermarket and you hear a song that is about 25 or 30 years old, and you know what they're doing. And it's the same. Rushmere are masters at this. As you walk through Rushmere, the sort of Rushmere soundtrack is designed to hit the 40-something. You know? Dad with the money in his pocket or mum with the money in her purse or whatever. Walking through Rushmere. You hear all the beats from your youth. And you nostalgically think about the past. And you're in a great mood. And then when somebody says, Daddy, can I get... You're like, yeah! Go ahead. Take a tenner and away you go. You're, you're, the, the music in those places frequently is designed to set, to set a mood for you as you go in. They know the sort of age group that are coming in, that are doing the most of the spending, and they want you to feel good, so they pick the songs from your youth. So supermarket music reminds us of the past. Films, and in particular film remakes. There's so little originality in Hollywood. About once every five years, you will get something that's new, and fresh and different and original, but most of it is just the same stuff repackaged over and over and over again. Why? Because they want to hit people who are nostalgic about what they've seen in the past and show it to them again. Exhibit A would be Top Gun last year. See where I got it right? Last year. Top Gun, outstanding film, loved it, loved every minute of it, every bit of it. The ladies liked the scene where the men are playing American football on the beach without their shirts on. But the men, the sort of 30 to 50 age bracket, they watch a film like that and it just ticks all the boxes and the biggest box that it ticks is it reminds them of when they were a kid and they watched the original one. Nostalgia, looking back, feel good. And then there is, of course, the phenomenon which is just outrageous these days, the reunion tour, <laughs> okay? The reunion tour, where a band who are now all in their 60s or 70s go on tour again, and they play the same songs, it's the same band, the same singers. The only difference is that the songs are in a different key, because when you're that age, you can't sing the way you sang when you were 20, and the tickets are about five times more expensive. But still we go. <laughs> well, I do anyway. <laughs> you know? Because we're just yearning for that experience, that nostalgia from the past. All of these things are designed to keep us in the past and looking to the past, to what we thought were better times. But our tendency to gaze backwards at the past can quietly erode our hope for the future. As we constantly look over our shoulders, what we tend to do is we start to think those were the better days. Those were the best days and they're in the past. And we lose hope that anything new will happen in the future. Is there anything new? 
Is our nostalgia stopping our ability to move forwards? Is the great and the good all in the past? One of the things that I, I've said frequently here is as I look at people on the street and, or wherever and I think, do you have hope for the future? As your life is right now, are you looking back thinking the best times are behind? Or are you looking forward with hope thinking that there can be better times in the future? And should we face our remaining years on earth, years, months, decades, whatever it may be, should we face that remaining time with a despondency that the best is behind us? And every now and again we look over our shoulder and get lost in it. We're conditioned by this world to not expect anything new, anything original. Content ourselves that the best is in the past. Don't expect anything different. The best you might get is a remake or a reunion tour. Henry Nyan said, The problem is that we allow our past, which becomes longer and longer each year, (laughs) we allow our past to say to us, You know it all. You have seen it all. Be realistic. The future will just be a repeat of the past. Try to survive it as best you can. And you go into survival mode. When we listen to the lie that there is nothing new under the sun, that caustic, sarcastic quip from Ecclesiastes, when we listen to that, our new year, our new day, our new hour become flat, boring, dull, and without anything new. And you get a whole lot of people in life who are just bored and who don't expect anything new to happen, who don't expect that their best days may actually lie ahead. And I think the devil knows that he can neutralize a Christian or a generation of Christians by getting them to spend their lives looking back at the good old days. And they don't even realize as they do that, they are missing what is out in front of them. The language of Isaiah 43 is strange in that it is pointing the people back to the past. Verse 16, introducing what the Lord is going to say, the the writer then reminds the people who are, are some of the things that God did in the past. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, drew out chariots and horses, army and reinforcements together. They lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. That's Exodus talk, obviously. So as as Isaiah introduces what God is going to say, he lists some things that God has done in the past. And the listeners, the hearers of this word would smile and their eyes would sparkle as they start to nostalgically recall what God did in the past and how he drowned the mighty army of Pharaoh in the sea. It's interesting there in verse 17, the bottom half of the screen, where it says that God drew out the chariots. Drew out is actually a military term. God commanded the Egyptian army. It's like mocking Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't even command the army. God commanded them. God gave the shout and said, Listen, you lot, into the sea now. And they obeyed. But these are, this is all language that makes them think about their past. But as they gaze back at the past, and as we gaze back at the past, what we can do is we can very easily fall into some dangerous patterns of thinking, dangerous mindsets. One of those, which we'll see in a minute, 
is that we think God must act in the same way that he has acted in the past. We massively limit God whenever we focus so much on what he did in the past that we have no category for him acting in a different way in the future. And this is one of the dangers of these people who are so fixed on what God did in the Exodus that they feel he must act in the same way that he did in the past. And then, as I've mentioned already, another real danger of continually looking over our shoulders is that we get this mindset that our best days are behind us. Now, some of you are there. And very easy for, for someone, I'm 45, very, very easy for you to start, start to settle into a rut in life and look back and say lots of good things have happened and we've had good times and we've had, we've had good experiences in the presence of God and start to just settle and almost get bored and lose that anticipation of better things in the future. It's a really dangerous place to be. And if we, if we look at the past and we think our best days are in the past, we lose hope. And Christians should be marked by hope, if by anything. Romans 15, 13 says that we should be overflowing with hope. And Ephesians 2, 12 describes those who are without God in the world as being without hope. In Colossians 1, we talk about faith, hope, and love, and we, we focus on, on love a lot, as, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13, but in Colossians 1, there's a wee verse, a powerful little verse, verse 5, where Paul says that faith and love spring from hope. In other words, hope is the source of those things. We have got to be people marked by hope, but you don't even realize that if you just sit and look backwards to the past, like, boy, didn't we have a good time at this point in our walk with God? Didn't we have a wonderful time in church whenever these things were happening? Or, or, or whenever we worshipped in a certain way or whenever certain things were done or certain ministries were going on and we look back and we don't realize that all the while we're looking back, the devil is just sucking the hope out of us. We don't even realize it. It's like the frog in the pan. Not that anyone's ever done it, I hope. The whole thing about the frog in the saucepan of cold water and you gradually warm it and the frog doesn't realize it's gradually getting warmer until it dies. <laughs> And they all lived happily ever after. Um, but but that, that's the way we can be. We're looking over our shoulder and we don't realize that gradually hope is just being drained away. And we expect nothing of the future. And a Christian without hope is a sad sight. If our best days are in the past, we, we have no hope for the future. And then we are afraid to dream. We're afraid to dream. For the... Jewish people who this was written to who were in exile in Babylon, the journey back home would be hard. A step into the wilderness. And Babylon was not their home, but it was the only thing they've ever known. And this is something God's challenging me about a lot lately, preaching to myself. Sometimes the only thing you've ever known gives you a sense of security even though it's not God's best for you. And it's really hard to make a break with the security of what you have known or always known. And even though Babylon was not the place that God wanted his people to be, and they knew that, it was the only place they'd ever been for a lot of them. 
And therefore, it provided a sense of stability and security. And to step out from it, even to step out on a call from God and to step out on a journey to Jerusalem, that was scary. When you look at your past all the time, it can be very, you can become quite fearful about dreaming about the future. You can start to convince yourself that that's something that younger people do. That you're mature now as a Christian and you should be in a settled walk with God and you shouldn't be dreaming about the future. But when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, Peter quoted Joel and Peter said that, that there's going to be people who will dream dreams and there are going to be people who will see visions. That the, that the mark of people who are filled with the Holy Ghost is that they will dream and they will anticipate and they will look to the future with hope. Barry Webb, a commentator on Isaiah, says the past can become an idealized world, the good old days. A retreat when the future is too hard to face. Something in the future, some challenge, something that we're being called to step into and it's difficult and it's a bit scary and the past can then be somewhere that we retreat to for safety because we know it. It becomes a retreat when the future is too hard to face rather than being a springboard from which we launch ourselves into the future with new vigor. And what God wants his people to do here is as they look to the past and as they recall that it's not something that they become fixated with, but it's something that launches them forward into the future. And as they're sitting, listening to Isaiah, listening to these words, um, reminding them of the, the things that God did in the past in verses 16 and 17. And they're all misty-eyed and the, the soft music is playing in the background and it's lovely as they reminisce on the good old days. Finally, Isaiah gets to the thing that God wants to say. Back in, I'm skipping about a lot here, but back at the start of verse 16, this is what the Lord says. He's about to introduce a statement from God. And then he lists some of those Exodus things And then the statement from God is, forget the former things. Now that is, you know, hang on. Didn't you just remind me of all the former things in in verses 16 and 17? Didn't you just remind me of the Exodus? This verse really jars us. It really sort of catches us as as we're nostalgically looking back on the things God has done in the past. And the, the point is not... That, that those things aren't important. The point is, do not dwell on them. <laughs> do not look back at them with such fondness that you have forgotten how to look forward and that you have forgotten how to hope and how to dream for the future. The point is not on the deeds themselves. The point is on who God is. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. The point is the character of God, not the things that he did. We get our eyes fixed on him rather than fixed on what he has done in the past, which sometimes can prevent us from looking to the future. So we're prepared then to hear a word from God. We got all this stuff about Exodus and then we get the word. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. It's not what we expected to hear. Isaiah wants us to know, and this is really important, church. Isaiah wants us to know that he is the same God, but he will do things in a different way. 
And that's why the next verse, he says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Remember what sort of God I am, which was evidenced by what I did in the past. But I'm going to do it differently this time. And we tend to reverse that. We tend to forget who God is and remember what he did and fixate ourselves on the past. And in the context of these exiles who are hearing a message from God saying that he's going to deliver them, you can imagine the conversation that would have taken place among the exiles in Babylon. They probably would have said something like this. We know how God will deliver us. Here's how it works. One of our women will get pregnant. And she will have a baby. And they'll put the baby in a basket. And they'll put the basket in a river. Because that's what happened in the past. They put the basket in a river. It'll not be the river Nile this time because it's Babylon. So it'll be the river Euphrates. One of the women has a child. Put the child in the basket. Put the child in in the river. And then the Babylonians will find the child. And then they'll raise the child. And then at some stage of the future, the child will part the waters and we will all walk out. That's how God does it. And God says... No, (laughs) that's what I did in the past. That's what I did in the Exodus. I'm going to do it differently this time. I'm not going to use a Hebrew baby. I'm going to use a pagan king who doesn't even know me. And he uses a guy called Cyrus to deliver his people. And I wonder, do we fall into that trap of thinking we know how God does things? And therefore we try to do the same thing and manufacture the same things from the past over and over again in the future. We know how conversion happens, you know. We know how someone gets born again. Well, do we? Do we force onto a person the experience that we had when we were born again or when we were filled with the Holy Spirit? We know how it happens or we think we do. We know how mission works and therefore the church is using techniques now from 50 years ago that worked really well 50 years ago, but won't work now. Okay? You cannot take the equivalent of Billy Graham and put him in Wembley Stadium and fill it. It won't happen in our culture and in our context. We can't just keep doing the things that we did in the past, that worked in the past. Remember about the character of God, but allow him to do new things. And Isaiah can see it, And Isaiah's excited about it and he's jumping around. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And he says, how could you not see it? (laughs) How can you not see it? And what has happened for Israel is the glorious things that God did in the past. And this can happen to us because all of us who have walked with God have got experience of him in the past that we look back on and think boy that was awesome God seemed so close I heard God so clearly I knew him leading me I knew him delivering me I knew him coming through miraculously and doing something and we look back and we put a straight jacket on God and say that's the only way you're able to behave in the future and another commentator on Isaiah A guy called John Oswald says, We humans are habitual idolaters, which means we will make an idol out of anything. And for the people in Israel, they had made an idol out of what had happened in the past. They looked at it so much 
that they were unable to see what God was doing in the present and what he wanted to do in the future. And one of the things that you've hopefully noted by now as we've gone through a few chapters of Isaiah in the past month or two is what happens to idolaters. You become like whatever it is you worship. And if you are an idolater, an idolater has no life in it, or an idol has no life in it, and it cannot see. One of the things over and over again that Isaiah and the psalmist and others say about idolatry is idols are blind and the people who worship them go blind. And what is going on here is Isaiah is saying in verse 19 of chapter 43, God's doing a new thing, but you can't see it because you have become so fixated on the past that the past has become an idol and has blinded you to what God wants to do in the present and in the future. You can't see what God is doing in the present if you are fixated on the past. And it is a rut that every one of us, I think, are prone to falling into. He's doing a new thing. And there's an interesting contrast between verse 19 of chapter 43 and verse 16. Verse 19, behold, I'm doing a new thing. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? Now look what he's doing and watch it carefully. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Verse 16 says, he made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. Now in verse 16 and verse 19, there are two things that are the same. The things that are the same is God making a way. In verse 19, it says towards the top of the screen, I am making a way in the wilderness. This is the God who makes a way, okay? And in verse 16, looking back to the past, this is the God who made a way. So God hasn't changed. God makes a way for his people. And he delivers people. But look at what has changed. In, in verse 19, higher one up on the screen, the way, he, the way he made was streams in the wasteland. Streams are wet, boys and girls, and the wasteland is dry. So what God is going to do is he's going to make a way by making water flow in a desert place. Whereas in the past, he made a way by making a path through the mighty waters. He made dry land in a wet place. Can you see what's going on? It's the same God who loves his people and wants to deliver his people and wants to move powerfully and wants to make a way. He wants to make a way. That hasn't changed, but he's doing it in a completely opposite way. In verse 16 at the bottom of the screen, he created a dry place in the middle of a watery place. In verse 19, he creates water in the middle of a dry place. Do not limit God. Know his character, know his heart that he loves and he wants to deliver, but he can do it in completely the opposite way if he wants to. He is always consistent in his character but never predictable in how he will act. <laughs> and there's a strange little verse here that just provides me with the bridge that I want to get to where we're going to finish. Verse, verse 20, it's not so much that this is strange, it's where it's going to bridge to that's maybe a bit strange. 
The wild animals honor me. We're in a wilderness. God is talking about making a way in the wilderness. Streams in the wasteland. He's going to provide drink for his people. All who are thirsty are going to be able to drink. And there's this little bit at the top there, verse 20. The wild animals honor me. And there's a verse that that sparked off. And this was just last night, you know, waiting for the fireworks, thinking over this. And it caused me to think of Mark chapter 1, a verse that I've never quite got, but I think maybe now I do. In Mark chapter 1, you've got Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And you have this bizarre little statement, he was with the wild animals. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, Seems a bit strange. And the angels attended him. And I used to think, well, there's maybe some nasty animals about and the angels protected him from them. But I've learned over the years that Mark leans really heavily on Isaiah. And I think when Mark pops in there about Jesus being with the wild animals, what Mark wants his readers who know Isaiah a lot better than we do, what he wants them to think is to think back to this verse, Isaiah 43, 20, the wild animals honor me. And what's going on in Mark 1, the wild animals are with Jesus in the wilderness honoring him because he is the new thing. He is the one who is going to make away streams in the wasteland. And as he stands in this wilderness in, in, in Mark chapter 1, we get the fulfillment of what we've been waiting for. And these animals become just a little sign. This is the one who is going to make away. This is the one who is doing a new thing, who will provide streams in the wasteland. He is the ultimate new thing. And people couldn't handle it. And people still can't handle it. Jesus came and was not the Messiah that people expected. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's a verse that a lot of people read and they think it's about heaven. And I think you can apply it to that. I don't think you're doing anything wrong by applying it to that. But Gordon Fee taught me that in the context of 1 Corinthians 2, it's not about heaven. It's about the cross. Because 1 Corinthians 2 is all about the cross and a crucified Messiah. And, and Paul says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, no one expected a crucified Messiah. No one anticipated this. No one thought this was going to happen. Jesus is the ultimate new thing that took everybody by surprise. And that's why in John 1, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world full of idolatry, full of selfishness. God came to this world in Jesus and they didn't recognize him. They didn't <clears throat> perceive him. God doing a new thing. And they couldn't see it. And therefore they didn't receive him. Even Peter struggled with this. At the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. Moses and Elijah are with Jesus on the mountain. And as Moses and Elijah leave Jesus are about to leave, Peter says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, 
One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And the word for shelters is literally booths or tabernacles. What Peter's saying is, it's so good that Moses and Elijah have shown up. Let's build three temples and let's enshrine the past. That's what Peter wanted to do and that's what some of us want to do. We want to enshrine the past. Build a temple, protect it, preserve it and gaze at it. And God weighs in very heavily (laughs) in this scene. He appears in a cloud. A voice comes from the cloud and says to Peter, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And Moses and Elijah disappear. Anything wrong with Moses and Elijah? No. Anything wrong with being fixated on them? Yes. (laughs) Because the one we are to be fixated on is the new thing. Jesus himself. Listen to him. And he teaches in Luke about how new wine has come. The kingdom of God is new wine. And it must have new wineskins to go in. People who are flexible. Who can shift and mold and change to this new wine of the kingdom of God. If it goes into the old wineskins of tradition and religion and the past. It'll burst the skins and it'll be lost. The wineskins have got to be supple and flexible and expansive if they're going to hold the new wine. As we finish, three words that are in Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19. Remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Paul used that as his text when he wrote 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, same word exactly in Greek as is in the Greek Old Testament that Paul would have used. The old has passed away. Behold, same word in Greek. The new, same word in Greek, has come. Jesus is God's new way of making people new creations. The past, the old has gone was it bad no did we learn much about God in it yes we did should we gaze longingly at it over our shoulders no we should not because if we do we lose hope we fear the future and we fail to see what God wants to do in the future with us So would you be honest on New Year's Day 2023? Are you believing the lie, and it is a lie, that the best is in the past? I struggled with this a few years ago, and I remember telling you about it not that long ago, about sitting in Chester with one of my my mentors in Forge, and just really struggling and saying to him, you know, are, are are the powerful encounters with God, are those something that happened in the early years and don't continue to happen because they don't seem to happen as much and he and he rebuked me quite strongly and he basically you don't do not be thinking like that do not be thinking like that your best days with God are in front of you your most powerful encounters in prayer are in front of you but you've got to get your eyes off the past and fixed on the future of what God wants to do has your hope for a new thing be sucked out of you does that ring true with you today? That you've just been knocked about a wee bit by life, 
<clears throat> some difficult traumatic experiences in life or in ministry and you're tired and, and that sense of hope for some great move of God in the future has been gradually just eroded away out of you. Are you open to God having a hope and a future for his people that is greater than what we can look back on? Because that verse, Jeremiah 29, that's on mugs and t-shirts and tattoos all over the place about people having, about God giving his people a hope and a future, that verse is written to the same people that Isaiah is writing to, the exiles, telling them that there is going to be a return. Are you open to God having a hope and a future for you that is greater than what you can look back on? Are we open to him moving in new ways and to your best days being ahead of you and not behind you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word from Isaiah. At least two and a half thousand years ago, maybe closer to three, and yet bang on the money for New Year's Day 2023. Father, please, for those who have lost hope, for those who gaze longingly at the past, at wonderful experiences in God, will you just gently put your hand, Father, upon the top of their heads and turn their heads round to the future? And say that you're doing a new thing. That the best days are ahead. That there are power encounters to be had with you. There is ministry and mission to be done with you in the future. And you need a people who have the faith to rise up and to step into it. So Lord, please come by your Spirit. Have your way. As we worship you, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak in this place, that you would move, that you would encourage your people. And that this day, whatever it holds for all of us, would be a day of reflection and a day of, of resolutely deciding that we will fix our gaze on, on the Lord, the Creator, our King. And that we will walk with you into the new things that you would have for us. Amen.